invite you to join me over in the book of Jonah. This is our last week in the book of Jonah. We'll be in Jonah chapter 4. Remember, we talked about this book, and I told you my favorite outline of the book is it's the sickest book in the Bible. Chapter 1, Jonah makes the sea sick. Chapter 2, he makes the great fish sick. Chapter 3, he makes the people of Nineveh sick. And now in chapter 4, he's going to make God sick. And so as we finish up this book, we need to keep in mind, Jonah is not the hero of this story. He's the villain of this story. Now follow along with me as I begin reading verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What was it that displeased him? That God did not destroy the city of Nineveh. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. May the Lord bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. I've entitled this morning's message, Attitude Adjustment. Have you ever said that to someone? Maybe to one of your children, 
You need an attitude adjustment. Is there someone who's ever said that to you? Maybe not using exactly those words, but have indicated to you, maybe your spouse, that you need an attitude uh, adjustment. Have you ever gotten up or been through the day and as you're, you're going through the day, you just find yourself, you're in a terrible mood? You may not know why you are just in that mood and you may sense yourself that you need an attitude adjustment. Well, We all need attitude adjustments at times. Children, teens, there are times that you need an attitude adjustment when you're not seeing things clearly. Adults, husbands, wives, there are times that we need an attitude adjustment if we're honest, you know, with one another. I remember uh, a few weeks ago, there's a person who, who's going to remain unnamed. Uh, she lives with me, uh, and, uh, but I'm not going to, to name her uh, this morning. Uh, but uh, one afternoon, she said to me, you know what? She didn't say you need an attitude adjustment. She just said to, to uh, me, you are grumpy and downright mean. Now, I know most of you can't imagine that happening with your, your pastor. Uh, but she was right. I was in some type of funk, and I needed an attitude adjustment. See, pastors need attitude adjustments at times. Prophets need attitude Adjustments. This whole book is about a prophet that needed his attitude adjusted. You know, leaders in churches at times need attitude adjustments. David Platt writes of a church that he was pastoring. And he said he told them about the ministry opportunities God had recently given to him around the world. He told them about people's receptivity to the gospel in places that are traditionally hostile to Christianity. He told them that whether it was in the inner city or overseas, God was drawing people to himself in some of the toughest areas of the world. And then he paused, expecting to hear the leaders in his church share his excitement. He waited for the response, and after a long, awkward silence, one of the deacons leaned forward in his chair, looked at David Platt, and said, David, I think it's great that you are going to those places, but if you ask me, I would just as soon God annihilate all of those people and send them to hell. He would fit right in if Jonah were pastoring a church. 
because that was Jonah's attitude. So as we look at the passage this morning, first of all, I want you to see Jonah's anger. His anger. Verse 1 tells us it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He is very angry. Now think of this, and we've, we've talked about this a little bit, how strange it is for Jonah to be angry. He's gone to Nineveh, he's preached, the greatest revival in history has occurred. The whole city has repented, and Jonah's mad about it. I mean, as I said, that would be like us, one of us going, walking through downtown Akron, preaching the gospel, the whole city turning to, to God, and then we would be upset that our preaching was effective. Isn't that strange? You would think that he would be overjoyed that the people of Nineveh have repented of their sin and have called out to God, but he's not. He's angry. And not only is he angry, but in his anger, he's turning it toward God. And he's implying that God has done something that is evil. See, the words that are used here in the passage, that it displeased Jonah exceedingly, the word that is used there is a a participle that means evildoers or wicked. It is the opposite of doing good. The word includes all the bad treatment of others that causes pain, suffering, harm, and trouble. It means being hostile to someone. Basically, what Jonah is feeling and saying is, God, what you have done is really evil. You haven't destroyed this nation, this city that are the enemies of Israel. See, Jonah's problem is that he wants to control God. Have you ever wanted to do that? Have you ever had your plans laid out? How God is supposed to work? And you've told him about how he's supposed to to do it? I'll confess, I've done that a time or two in my life. In my prayers, it's like, God, let me tell you how this should all work out. And let me step back and see how you're going to do what I'm kind of dictating to you to do. And there are times we all want to control God. And that's the problem here. Jonah is angry because he can't control God. And God did something that Jonah did not want him to do. In verse 2, we see that he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? See, there's Jonah. This is why I didn't want to go. 
This is why I don't want to go. Remember another outline of the book of Jonah? I won't go, chapter one. I will go, chapter two, little ride in a special submarine. Changed his mind. He goes, chapter three, and here in chapter four. I knew I shouldn't have gone. You sent me to preach a message that judgment is going to come, and now you've relented, God. You're not sending the judgment. If I had stayed away, the judgment would have come. And just what am I going to tell all my prophet friends back in Israel? That this nation that in the future is going to come and bring judgment upon the northern kingdom, this nation that is cruel in the way that they treat people, that I went and preached to them and they all got saved. Well, the people of Israel aren't going to be real happy with me. But why would the people in the northern kingdom be happy with him? In their entire history, they never had a single godly king. Jonah is making this about himself. And God, I knew you weren't going to destroy them. That's why I didn't want to go. So just go ahead and kill me. Now think of this. Because a revival occurred, Jonah says, kill me. The next thing I want you to see is God's question. God's question. Verse 4. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? You know... God often asks questions in the scriptures. And I believe through his spirit he asks of us questions as well. Jonah, are you really doing right by being angry? Now think of some of the other questions that God has, has asked in the past. To Adam and Eve, he says to them, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? What have you done? Now keep in mind, God never asks questions for information. He's omniscient. He knows all things. How about when he asks Cain, where is Abel, your brother? What have you done? To David, after David had committed his sin with Bathsheba, God asks of him the question, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do evil in my sight? To Isaiah, after Isaiah sees the, the heavenly throne room, he says, whom shall I send? Who go for us? Jesus, as he walks with his disciples, one day asked them, Who do men say that I am? 
And then he asked them individually, but who do you say that I am? In Matthew chapter 20, two blind men are crying out to Jesus, and Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? To Judas, he will ask the question, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And to Saul, he will say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it convicting when God asks questions? Because God asks questions of us as well. And through his spirit, he wants us to come to grip with the direction that we are heading in if we're going in the wrong direction. And there are things that he wants us to realize by asking of us questions. To Jonah, the question is, do you have a right to be angry? Well, the next thing that I see in the passage is an object lesson. An object lesson in verses 5 through 9. And so, Jonah has gone to the east of the city to see what's going to happen. Now, he already knows what? That he has preached a message that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. He also knows that God has relented. We talked about this last week. That God is showing mercy and grace to the city of Nineveh. And that he is not going to destroy it. He knows that. But instead, he's going to go outside the city now to see what's going to happen. What's he expecting? He's hoping that God is going to relent again and decide that he's going to bring judgment. Maybe he's hoping that the repentance of the people in Nineveh is not real. So that they'll go back to their evil ways and then the judgment will come. But he is going there to see what's going to happen. And so God is going to be kind to Jonah. Have you noticed that about God? That even when we aren't obedient to him, even when we may be rebelling against what he wants us to do, he still shows us kindness. And so he, God, we're told in verse 6, appoints a plant. Now, as, as we go through this, I want you to see how sovereign our God is. He appoints a plant in verse 6. And he causes it to grow so that it will provide shade over Jonah's head. Now we know from later on that this plant springs up in one day. And it's a plant that is going to provide shade for him. Now many people question, can that really happen? 
They're the same people who would question whether Jonah could actually be in the belly of a fish. If you believe in a supernatural God, if you believe in a God who can work miracles, if you believe in a God that nothing is impossible for him, you're not going to have any problem whatsoever of understanding that a plant springs up in a day and provides shade for Jonah. So God is being kind to him in giving him this plant to provide shade for him. And we see in verse 6 that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah, who needs an attitude adjustment, has finally found something he's happy about. And what's he happy about? A plant that's providing shade for him. God gave him this plant so he would not experience discomfort. Verse 7, God comes down the next day and God appointed a worm. Now think of this. Think of the sovereignty of God. Not only is he in charge of all the plant world, he's also in charge of even worms. Now, when you think of a worm, you don't think of something that's very significant, do you? Maybe for most of you, you think of a worm as something you use when you go fishing. But God has appointed a worm. And of course, the worm attacks the plant. And the plant dies. And in verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. Okay, he's over the plants. He's over the worms. He's over the wind. And he's over the clouds because if the sun is beating down on his head, God has made sure it's a cloudless day. I wish God would send us a few more of those here in northeastern Ohio. But, but God is in charge. He is sovereign. And what do we see the response of Jonah is now? He's really happy when the plant's there, but now that the plant has died, he wants to die again. He wants to die again. And God says in verse 9 to him, do you well, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He wants to die over, first of all, he wants to die over God, not sending judgment on Nineveh. And now he wants to die because a plant died. You think he needs an attitude adjustment? You see, giving the plant shows God's mercy and his grace in providing comfort for Jonah. And one of the things we see all through this book 
is Jonah has experienced the mercy and grace of God again and again and again. And even though he is obedient in going and preaching to Nineveh, he does not want the people of Nineveh to experience the grace and mercy of God. And dear Christian friends, we can become calloused and not care whether or not others receive the same mercy and grace that we have received. And that's Jonah. It's all about him. As we look at the end of the book, it closes again with a question. From God. Look at what God says in verses 10 and 11. In verse 10, He says, You have pity for a plant that you had nothing to do with whatsoever? And then He asks in verse 11, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. Think of what he's saying. This city is so great. There's 120,000 children in this city who are not old enough yet to distinguish between their right hand and their left hand. And Jonah has no pity or no care even about them. And God is going to drive the point forward even more. And he says, did you notice at the end of there? And cattle. (laughs) If you don't care about the people, what about the animals that are there? The cattle that are there. But the focus here is on the people. People who are going to die and go to hell if they don't believe in God. Jonah needs an attitude adjustment. See, the plant was temporal. The people are going to live somewhere forever. The plant was of little value The people are highly valued because every single individual is created in the image of God. Jonah played no part in the plant growing, but God played the key part even in creating the city of Nineveh. Jonah sought his own comfort God was after Jonah's character. Jonah cared for the destiny of one plant. And God cared for the destiny of thousands of people. So let's make this practical this morning. Can you clearly see with me a prophet that needs an attitude of judgment? It's what this book is about. And you know what's so sad here? 
And I know most people believe that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. I personally kind of question whether Jonah actually wrote this book. But notice how it ends. We don't know which way Jonah's going to go. We don't know whether he's going to have an attitude adjustment or whether he's going to hang on to his stinking attitude. And the book shows us that you know what? You can have a bad attitude and still do the task that God tells you to do. But God is more concerned about your heart than the task that you are doing. So for us this morning, if you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's mercy and grace for you. There is mercy and grace. That's why Jesus came, died on the cross, so that he could extend God's mercy and grace to all who will receive him. For those of us who have received that mercy and grace, do we have a heart to want that to be shown to others? Do we care that there are people in our community and around the world who don't know Jesus? Or is it just all about us? If it's all about us, we need an attitude, adjustment. And perhaps there's something in your life where you're not being obedient to God. Or maybe you're being obedient on the outside, but not on the inside. Listen to the Spirit of God this morning. And if you're in need of an attitude adjustment, just call out to him and let him know. And the God who changes hearts will work in your life to change your attitude. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. Father, we pray that you would help us, that we might listen to your spirit, that we might obey you, and serve you. Where we need our attitudes adjusted, Lord, through your Spirit, make those changes. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.